Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. But the song that's in my spirit is, Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. Stay with me. You can sing with me. While on others thou art calling, do, do not, do not pass me by. Oh, no, don't pass me by, Lord. Come on now. I'm singing Savior, yes, Savior, hear me, hear my humble cry, while on others now while on others thou art calling come on now y'all didn't go to church do not do yes do not pass do not me yes yes that has been in my spirit as I sat there preparing for this sermon I just want to thank you all for the music that has ushered us in praise and worship is such an important part of worship it's like you can't get to the main service unless you get part be part of praise and worship it's like getting in your vehicle and all you're doing is sitting in the driveway just waiting just waiting just waiting for somebody to give you the keys for the car. No, praise and worship is when you get in the car, turn on the vehicle, and you drive yourself to worship. You drive yourself to worship. I have to just give a huge shout out to all our volunteers, those who helped get things set up this morning. It has been such a, I'm not going to say struggle, it has been a blessing to lose sleep for the Lord, right? To, to not eat for the Lord, to, to just be annoyed for the Lord. Does that even make sense? I just want to thank you all for just um, your help and all that you do to move the vision of the church. Because to be honest, it's impossible. It's impossible for the vision of this church to move in a direction of God's leading without our volunteers. So huge shout out, huge, huge shout out. This month we are in a series called, what, what on earth am I here for? What, what, what am I doing here? Why, why did I come to church? What on earth am I here for? 
Last week, Pastor covered the importance of being the authorized version of yourself. He compared it from Cheerios to O's, the Echelon bike to the Peloton. And why would you uh, even kind of wear a, I don't know, Calvin Klein purse when you can have the Louis version? We ain't got Louis money, but still, the real thing. He talked about being God's best. And uh, don't be a poor man's version of God's best in your life. In closing, he shared how God is calling us to be broken. Now, that word kind of stuck with me because being broken means something different to all of us. I mean, what does broken look like for you in this season right now? I, I had to marinate in that thought. And to be honest, being broken can cause you to be stuck. Just stuck not knowing where to go, how to go. It can cause you to be stuck in your finances, cause you to be stuck in your life, make you say, God, I didn't sign up for this. I can't do this anymore. I don't want this life. Brokenness can possibly make you feel angry at what God has done in your life. It causes you to compare your life to others and possibly make you feel inadequate inadequate, not being enough. It's a space most people are uncomfortable talking about. When you're broken and you don't have enough and you feel inadequate, you don't want to admit to people that you feel broken, inadequate, you broke, right? You go out with your friends and everybody's ordering the, what, the steak and you're like, I'll just have a salad. I'm not really hungry. No, you broke. You don't want to admit you're broke, but God's like, Tell me you're broke. I'll give you something better. It's all good. In the early years of my marriage, I was a hot mess. I was broke. Broke, broke down, broken. I didn't do drugs, smoke, or drink. I didn't go out and... I tried. I tried to smoke. It just didn't agree with me. I tried to drink. It just wouldn't go down. I wanted to go out to parties, but I just stood out. I didn't step out on my marriage, but I was doing what God called me to do. I want you to say it with me. I was doing everything. I wanted to be the perfect wife, the perfect mom. I went to church every Sabbath, took the kids to Sabbath school. I paid my tithe and offering. I was in ministry at the church, leading out in Sabbath school, doing everything possible. Of course, I was in God's calling, but I was lacking one thing. I was lacking compassion and grace from my husband. Follow me. See, my husband loved going out. Hang out with his friends. First day off of work, he just go, he wanted to go party with his friends. And I was at home with the kids in that season. I struggled with a lot. I struggled with not being enough, not having enough, not doing enough, waiting for him to come home. And when he would come home, I was this big, ugly monster. Ugly. He couldn't, he couldn't sneak in. I was waiting in the living room. I would say mean things, do mean things to him. Grace and compassion, no. Yet I was still serving God. Still doing what he desired of me. I was in his will. But the one thing that I lacked was grace and compassion for my husband. Does that even make sense? I remember sharing all my heartache with a mentor of mine, and I told him every reason 
why my marriage could be better if he just stopped going out, if he just helped me with the kids, if he would just come and go to Sabbath school at least and sit there, if he would just serve more, do more, do anything, help me. Be involved in church, right? And my mentor told me these words. He said, Paula, your husband's not the problem. You are. What? I'm going to church. He's not. I named every reason why I was better than him. He said, you're taking all your attention off of God and putting it towards your husband and focusing on everything that he is not. All that energy, it didn't make sense. What we have to understand is that who we become and who God designed us to be are just two different people. Two different. They can't be the same people in the room. You can have the best intentions in the world and still not be who God designed you to be. Still. I've learned a lot about my identity through my pain because believe it or not, it was in my deepest pain that I found my purpose. See, see I, I have a lot to say when you do something wrong. And God can transform me. And he said, oh, you want something to say? Here's the mic. It's in your frustration, your brokenness, your heartache, your deepest pain that God can find your purpose. I've titled today's sermon, Embrace Your Space. Let us pray. Father God, go before me. Stand beside me. Carry me. Open the ears and hearts of those who are in tune, Lord. Allow the words of my mouth to be yours. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, and we love you. Amen. Amen. We are in the story of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is in a crisis. Pastor Seth did a great job with allowing us to go into the doors of, of Jeremiah, and he's doing his best to live out God's best. He told Jeremiah to go out and tell the people to come back from this worldly life that they were living in. And the thing about what Jeremiah wasn't expecting was that God called him to go out, but he just wasn't expecting to get rejected in return. It's just like me standing up here and God says, okay, you're going to preach this Sabbath. And as I stand here to preach, all I can hear is grumbling, y'all tuning into yourselves. I don't want to hear what she has to say. Can you please just turn off the online service? She doesn't make sense. That was the rejection Jeremiah was facing. He was facing rejection, resistance from all of these people. And he just couldn't take it anymore. He's like, really, Lord? You brought me here to preach the word so people don't that just just don't want to listen to me why would God call Jeremiah to a place where he would get rejected why Jeremiah was angry at God Jeremiah 20 verse 7 says Lord you persuaded me I allowed myself to be persuaded I am mocked by everyone in the city Jeremiah wanted to abandon ship abandon his call he's like yolo deuces I'm out Lord I'm not about this life I only live once. I'm about to go to Costa Rica, get somebody else to preach the word. This makes sense. He can abandon his call, get into another profession, perhaps just take up fishing and hang out by the lake. I mean, that sounds, you know, that sounds good. You know, I just want to be a spectator. Let me just stay in the chill zone and just hang out at church and let people serve me. Let the church say, ouch. 
If we aren't careful how we spend our entire life doing all the things we can do and never find the thing that we must do, something's missing. We can do all these things. We can be a professional in, I don't know, singing, dancing, every area. But God designed you specifically for one thing only. The one thing that only you can do. One thing. Jeremiah chose to stay in his calling. Now, I don't know. What, what, it, what would it take for you to struggle or suffering, yet you still maintain in your calling? What would cause you to still stay in your calling? Knowing people talking about you. I don't know. They rejected you. They keyed up your car. Yet you're like, this is where God wants me to be. He knew the difference between what he can do and what he must do. So he embraced his space. Tell your neighbor, embrace your space. Embrace your space. He looked to God and he placed his trust in him. It sounds easy. He trusted the process of God's call over his life. Jeremiah didn't want to settle for less. He wanted God's best for his life. God's best. His convictions motivated him to be who God had called him to be. In Jeremiah 20, verse 11, it says, But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. No matter what you go through, it says, The Lord stands by you like a great warrior. Like a great warrior. When times get tough, we assume, oh, this, this, this must not be God's calling in your life, Right? The going gets rough. You're like, I'm sure God did not design me to have a life like this. A husband like this. Kids who talk back. A boss who gets on my nerves. Surely I should be in another profession. But there's the challenging truth. Your calling does not exempt you from pain. It doesn't exempt you from the struggle or anything else. Suffering or despair. I'm going to pivot this story. to two individuals in the Bible. One appeared to be in his kingdom calling, and one, I'm sure you can agree, was not in their calling. But they were trying to find a way. Two people stand before you, and it's obvious by their appearance, one is here and one is there. This gentleman over here, he's looked up to. Well, the woman over here, she's looked down on. The gentleman over here is a church leader. The one right here, well, she's a street walker. The one to my live lives exactly by the rules. Well, the one right here, she loves to break them. She's a rule breaker. The one to my left, well, he just loves coming to church. The one to my right, well, she just kind of distracts people from coming into the church. The one to my, life, my left, he's a theology student. The one right here, she's a student of the streets. He's hosting a huge party. She's crashing it. He wants to just figure things out in ministry. And she's like, I ain't got time for this. Which person would you choose to be on your ministry team? It's obvious this one, right? He's the perfect one. He comes to church with a suit on. If you wanted to pick anyone, it would be this guy right here. He's got it all together. He's doing what God wants him to do. However, if Jesus had to choose, I'm pretty sure he'd pick the woman, the streetwalker, the rule breaker, 
the party crasher, the outcast, the broken woman who stands to his right. Yes, Jesus picks her. I'm going to share this story here, and I want you to follow along. This story is told in Luke 7, 36, verse 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepts the invitation. He sits down to eat a certain immoral, say immoral, immoral, everyone say immoral again. That word means sinful. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him at his feet. She began to cry. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was also the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, this proves Jesus is no prophet. If God had really said, him he would know what kind of woman is touching him she's a sinner then Jesus spoke up and answered this as he goes Simon I have something to tell you all right teacher go ahead Simon said then Jesus told him this story a man loaned money to two people 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other but neither of them could repay so he kindly forgave them both he canceled their debts who do you suppose loved Jesus more after that Simon answered I suppose the one who canceled who whom he canceled the larger debt that's right Jesus said I suppose then he turned to the woman he said to Simon look at this woman kneeling here when I entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet but this woman has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair you didn't give me a kiss of greeting but this woman has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said, who does this man think he is forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me set the stage. Simon's throwing a party. Jesus healed him from leprosy. He's like, yo, I'm throwing this big party, Jesus. You know, you just did the biggest thing ever over my life. You healed me from leprosy. And I just want you to be the guest of honor. Simon's a little annoyed because while this party is going on, this woman enters the party. He's like, who is this woman? Who invited her? Who's security at the door? Don't she know this is a party for invitation only? She wasn't invited. Perhaps Simon was a little annoyed that she was taking his spotlight. Whatever it is, he did not like that she entered into this party. Simon is disgusted. It, it, it shares the story of how he was disgusted at the sinful woman. He knew who she was. Everyone knew who she was. She was the town harlot. How dare she come into this house? My party. He didn't want nothing to do with her. Simon probably thinks at this point that it is his job to tell Jesus what sin she has committed. I want you to follow me. If a woman was to walk in here, the town harlot, remove the pastor's shoes, wash his feet, and we all knew her history, I'm sure we'd all pay attention to her, right? 
Like, what is she doing? Holly probably wouldn't Holly probably wouldn't approve of that. We'd be like, uh, deacons, y'all didn't check her ID before she walked in. This woman just had one thing in mind. She just needed to get to Jesus. That's it. All she knew was that she needed to get to Jesus. She heard of him. She needed that joy. She needed that peace. She needed that direction in her life that would help her. There are two things in this story. I'm only going to mention two points in this story that helped Mary discover her kingdom calling. Two points. Point number one, she understood that everything starts with God. Everything starts with God. If you want to know why you were placed on this earth, you must begin with God. Colossians 1 verse 16 says everything, not some things, not many things, not a few things, but everything starts with God. Everything. And Jesus knew everything about her life. He knows everything about our life. He knew what it took for her to be there. He knew the shame that she had to go through. He knew what it was like for her to get in her car, drive to the parking lot, walk past the greeter, find a seat, hold her head down. She knew there was too much shame that she carried. She couldn't even get eye contact with nobody. All she knew was that I just need to get to Jesus. That's it. I just need to get to Jesus. Brandon, she just wanted to get to Jesus. That's it. If I can just get past all these people and just get to Jesus, I'll be okay. You have moments like that at, 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 through the work week where you feel like I just need to get to church. I'm just going to wake up. I just need to get to church. I just need to get in the building. I know that once I sit down, I will be okay. Once I start singing praise and worship, once the pastor starts preaching, I'm going to be okay. And then all you can do is just sit there and cry because you made it. You made it. She made it. Oftentimes, we go to the phone before running to his throne. And be honest, running to the phone, calling your people up about your problems just confuses your direction. Just makes it more confusing. She knew it. She's been confiding so many people in her life. She's like, I'm done. I just need to get to Jesus. Mary didn't have the answers to her life, but she knew who did. Mary came to Jesus. That was a big party. She didn't come for the good food. She didn't come for the music. She didn't come for the people who were there. She came simply for Jesus. She didn't come for the fellowship. She didn't come for the, the, the hydration station. She came for Jesus. It's, I start to think a little bit. I'm like, it's easy for us to condemn Simon, right? Like, he's the bad guy in this story, right? Thinking that we have nothing in common with him, but I saw myself so much in Simon. So much. Growing up in the church, I was a proud, big-headed Seventh-day Adventist. Let me tell you, I was in middle school, elementary school. I had Exodus 20, verse 8, stamped on my forehead. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thy labor and do all that work. But the seventh day, 
Everyone outside of the Sabbath-keeping day, y'all part of Babylon. Yes, big-headed. Y'all can't sit with us. Y'all over there, we're part of the 144,000 people called up. Just big-headed. Simon, he wants to keep ministry in the church. We can't, he's like, you can't minister to Mary. She's not part of us. She's a sinner. We're all sinless, Jesus. I remember, this was maybe five years ago. We were celebrating my sister's birthday. Big barbecue at the park. You know, some ones, we just love barbecues. Big barbecue at the park, right? Seeing a homeless person. We're in Long Beach. There's quite a few homeless people. And I go up to these homeless people, and I say, oh, are you guys hungry? We have a lot of food over there. We have a barbecue. They're like, yes, we're very hungry. And I'm like, oh, yes, I'm going to do my duty and go to the party and get a big tray of food and come back and feed them, right? So I go to the, to back to the party. I get this big foil pan, and I fill it up with chicken and beef and sausage and potato salad. Some ones don't have green salad. We have potato salad and macaroni salad. So I'm just like putting it in there, right? I fill up this whole foil pan, and I'm like, Mom, there's like some homeless people over there? I'm going to go take all this food to them. And I'm expecting my mom to say, oh, my daughter's so good. Good for you. Uh-uh. You know what she said to me? She said, Paula, why are you going over there for? Bring them to the table. I was like, what? But <laughs> I was thinking that, that they ain't dressed right for our party. My mom's like, go over there and bring them to the table. Trying to keep ministry in the church is just like that. I'm going to go feed them over there because they're not good enough to come sit at our table. I'm reminded so many times of when you go into the church and you see aggressive praisers. You know, sometimes people are annoyed by aggressive praises because they either stomp too much or clap too loud or yell or jump up. You know, I'm, I'm more curious about, man, what's their story? Like, what's their testimony? I think of the story of David when he danced before the Lord. I mean, his wife was upset. He was like, she was like, what? You just trying to show off and dance in front of all these ladies. And he had to straighten his wife out. He says, what I do is for the Lord, not for you. My worship is for him. Having to straighten out his own wife because she was hindering his worship for the Lord. I was thinking about Mary. You know, maybe she was raised in the church, you know. Maybe she just took a wrong turn. Maybe something happened in her life that, uh, that made her go outside and not want to stay in the church. You know, many of us, as she walked in, we knew what her life was like. We follow her on Instagram. We see all her parties that she goes to on Facebook. We walk in and we're like, oh, did you see the party she was at last night? Mary, wanting to come back. 
But everybody knew about her life, and that's what kept her from coming. She's like, oh, no, Jesus is going to show up. I'm going to show up too. She had to block out the noise. Takes a lot of guts to do what Mary did. I know what it's like to come back to church because there was a time when I was missing, and I came back to church, and people were like, where you been? It's none of your business where I've been. How about you say, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Jesus welcomes her. Mary came for Jesus. She has no water, but she uses her tears. She has no towel. She uses her hair. And all she kept doing was kissing his feet, pouring more perfume, kissing his feet, pouring more perfume, kissing his feet. Her eyes couldn't lift up yet. It was Jesus who lifted her up. See, we can do two things to people. We can either call them out or call them up. Jesus called her up. Because calling them out, you'd be like, you know what? gonna come back to church. Ah, deuces. Jesus called her up to a higher calling. Point number two. Last point. You got to press through the pain to get to your purpose. Press through the pain to get to your purpose. Mary understood that her pain was something that she had to expect except she had to embrace her space. It wasn't her space that proved God's absence in her life. It helped her to expand her purpose. So what do you do with your pain? What do you do? Do you bottle it up? What do you do? Do you call people? Keep it there? What? Too many times we just bottle it up, and uh, by the time your husband say, babe, you okay? No, I'm not okay. You know, we just, like, want to pour everything out of the bottle. He's like, whoa, whoa, or, is it just me? <laughs> we just want to pour everything that we've held for, like, three years, and we're like, no, and this, 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 and this. He's like, I just asked if you were okay. So what do you do with your pain? What do you do? Do you keep it bottled up? Mary put everything in that bottle. She took it to Jesus, and she broke it at his feet. Jesus could do more with it than anyone else could. Anyone else could. Mary knew the heart of the Father. John, 3 verse, John 6, verse 37 says, At that, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus don't reject nobody. He could have easily rebuked her, but he doesn't do that. Because God is a God of love. You know, Mary was probably thinking, what kind of God you serving, Simon? That's not the God I know. That's not the heart of my father. All who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. The crazy thing is, is that Simon should have known about grace and mercy because he was a leper 
He was a leper. He was throwing this party because Jesus had healed him. And when you're a leper, you can't be part of the crowd. You're part of the outcast. So he should understand Mary, right? But no, there was no grace. There was no mercy. There was no compassion. None. But Mary came thirsty for Jesus. She came thirsty from regret. She was thirsty from countless men's with other countless nights outside of the walls of, of, of grace. And all she wanted was Jesus. If I could just get to him and drink from his cistern. And once she drank from Christ's sister, and it just became something that she just could not stop drinking. You know, when you become so thirsty and you're drinking so fast that what does it do? It just kind of goes all over you, right? Everywhere. That's how much she was thirsty for him. That water was dripping everywhere. And Simon's standing from afar. He's looking at her drinking from this cistern of Jesus. He don't even realize he's thirsty too. Simon. He's like, I want, one, I want some of what she has, but I'm just going to stand here and judge her. Simon didn't even realize that he was thirsty too. He just didn't want to admit it. How many people do you think came to Christ because of Mary's boldness. What if she didn't do what she did? What if she didn't bring that jar to Jesus and break it, break it over him? What, what if she didn't do that act? What if she just stopped short of it because there was too much shame, too much guilt in her heart? She just couldn't get through the church doors. Because of what Mary did, Many people were saved. And believe it or not, I think Simon was saved by that action too. Mary made up her mind. She's leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. I'm coming into the end of this story. Jesus says the most romantic thing any woman has ever heard. She has been craving these words. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then he follows up with the most life-changing moment in her life. He says, your sins are forgiven. They may not sound romantic to her, but for a woman who's been living outside of God's best, That meant everything. Grace, peace, forgiveness. She's been walking the streets. She's been living in a a life where, where there was no peace. So when Jesus spoke those words to her, she finally felt as it was the greatest weight loss of her life. The greatest weight loss ever. You know, some of us walk around and we think that our diet makes us look old. Or overweight when it's probably just the things that we hold on to. Perhaps it's the unforgiveness, the things that we just can't let go of. Mary receives forgiveness and peace in one visit. She needed peace, she wanted it, she was hungry for it. Finally, the shackles are broken. Jesus makes the difference. He makes all the difference. (laughs) He offers this forgiveness and peace for you too. Isaiah 26 verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts you. In closing, I want to share with you that slaves go through a process. Slaves, they go through a process. If I wanted to buy a slave, I would go to your master and I would negotiate a price. I would purchase you and I get to decide whether I would keep you or set you free. Once I buy you, though, your master can't come back and claim you. Cannot. I get to decide what I want to do with you. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the one thing that enslaved you, the master of your sins. He paid the highest price, and then he set you free. Set you free. He set you free. Mary finally felt free. What's keeping you enslaved to find your kingdom calling? Are you stuck? You're trying to blame your circumstances. Finally, read, oh, it's his fault. Oh, it's her fault. His love for you is so great. Jesus just simply loves you. His love for you is so great. It's greater than your enslavement. It's greater than your hiccups. It's greater than your failures. It's greater than the things that you did last week, last year. It's greater than anything in this world. Jesus just simply loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And she held on to God's faithfulness in her life. God's faithfulness looks different to, to all of us. But she understood, great is thy faithfulness, O oh God. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God. I am truly convinced that Mary helped Simon... Yes, Mary, the rule breaker, the street walker, the broken woman, the harlot, the sinner, the immoral person. She helped Simon discover his kingdom call. Jesus says, come to me. Not your friends, not your husband, not your pastor, not the church. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. In closing, I have to find, I have to share with you that I found my kingdom calling in this pandemic. You know, the, the year in which everything was just crazy, just nothing to praise the Lord about. There were so many losses, many job losses, many lives lost. It was just pure chaos. In that year, I found my kingdom calling. At 50 years old, I found my kingdom calling. I was struggling through a lot. You know, I was, you know, my kids were grown, and all I knew was taking care of them, taking them to school, receiving them. That's all I knew. And now they were all off to college, living their best life. My sister passes away. I come out here. We come and move to L.A., and uh I come looking for a church. 
struggling with guilt and betrayal and so many things going. I just had baggage. And I was like, oh, it came into the, the, the doors of relove. And I said to myself, I'm just going to be a spectator. I'm done with ministry. I'm just going to receive it. I'm just going to come here and sit, marinate in God's word, and then leave. Don't talk to me. I hit the door, parking lot, before, any, before the pastor said amen. I didn't want to talk to nobody. And then I'd come again, and then I'd come. I timed it so perfectly where I didn't have to talk to anybody. And I'd just sit the third row. And right when the pastor was finished, I'd just quickly walk out. I said, I'm done with ministry. I ain't serving no more. Y'all get me to the kingdom. I did my time. All of y'all going to help me get to the kingdom. I was doing so many things, but not doing the one thing God called me to do. And then I came to church after two years. Yes, two years I sat as a spectator, not doing nothing. Sat here, and then I said, okay, Lord, if you're going to call me, send me a sign. I come into Relove, and guess what happens? Rico says he is going to Michigan for school. I'm like, Lord, I didn't want that sign. What does that mean? That means I had to step up. But then I was like, nope, I'm not going to, I'm just going to ignore that call. That wasn't for me. Nope, I'm not going to do it. The pastor's calling me, and I know I'm Pastor Seth. I apologize. I just didn't pick up the call. I would look, Pastor Seth, I can't talk to the pastor right now. And then I come back to church a couple months later, and then I'm like, okay, Lord, I need one more sign. If this is where you want me to be, let me know. And guess what happened? Pastor James left. And I'm like, oh, Lord. It was clear. God needed me here. He needed me here. And I kept ignoring it. I had a meeting with Rico, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to apply for this job. Pastor talked to me, and I'm just like, oh, I just don't want anything. I'm tired. I'm tired, Lord. My time is done. I just want to sit, be a spectator, receive God's word, go home, take a Sabbath nap, and be done. That's it. But God's like, no, that's not my kingdom call for your life. It may look like that I'm okay when I come up here and speak, but I don't like speaking. I, I don't like standing up here. I don't like being a deliverer of God's word, but I know that's my kingdom call. It freaks me out to stand up here with a mic. Preparing for God's word, I, I get so boggled. I'm like, oh man, Lord. I struggle with being unqualified, not being enough, not doing enough. Why am I here? Are you sure I should be taking this spot? God's like, you're exactly where I need you to be. You need to understand. I don't call the qualified. I qualify the call. I qualify you. What's keeping you from your kingdom calling? What's keeping you? What's keeping you? Ness, what's keeping you? What's stopping you? Jane, are you here? Are you, are you where you need to be, where God wants you to be? Yasmin, is there something outside of children's ministry that God has called you to be? Is this my kingdom calling?
I'll let you marinate in that question while I pray for you. And if you feel called by God to move in the direction of his leading, whether it be baptism, Bible study, a recommitment, whatever that looks like, I want you to stand. Let us all bow our heads. Let me pray for you. Father God, some of us are just sitting here confused, needing direction. No, maybe they have direction, but there's just a little bit of hesitance and having them stand up for you. Maybe there's someone online who you need us to get in contact that's struggling with their calling, Lord. I'm praying for them, that they would step out and choose you. Start with you. Move past the pain to your purpose. Everyone here within the sound of my voice is seeking something more than where they are right now, Lord. I pray for purpose over their life, that you would overwhelm them with your heart and your love. Let them know who you are. Let them see you. Let them be impressed by you. And may we as a church be the hands and feet of this community to let those who walk in the door know that they have been with you, Lord. And so I pray for the transforming spirit of your love within this place, that it would be big, that it would be great, bigger than what we expected, Lord. And when all is said and done, may we remember to give you the glory and honor you so deserve. We thank you, we love you, we praise you. Amen.